0: Welcome to My Favourite Episode. My name is Steve and I am your host, but that doesn't really matter because we've got a great guest with us today. I'm joined by the author of The Art of Atari, Mr. Tim Laptino, and Tim also has a book on the history of Pac-Man coming out in August. Tim, what is your favourite episode that we're going to be talking about today? Today we're going to be talking
1: about my favourite episode of G.I. Joe, the animated cartoon that was based on a toy line. And we're going to talk about two episodes, it's a two-parter, with a cliffhanger called There's No Place Like Springfield.
0: We're going to get into this straight away, as far as this goes. <laughs> it's not one that I had a lot of experience with as a kid. It was on, and I did watch it, but obviously it was definitely geared towards America in a big way. What is your history with this show? Was this essential Saturday morning viewing for little Tim? Yeah, when I was
1: a kid, I was totally into G.I. Joe. Like my my younger brothers and I, we all watched it. You know, we had the figures. One year, uh, my parents actually bought us all the aircraft carrier, oh. which is this monstrous, you know, six and a half foot oh, yeah. toy. And my dad cursed the whole thing because it literally took all day to put together. I mean, <laughs> it was monstrous, but it was amazing. It was they didn't even wrap it; they just wrote our names on the side of the box because the the box was literally like I think seven feet tall, yep. seven feet long. It was just nuts. But so I was a big GI Joe fan, and I watched the show, you know, every afternoon and Saturdays whenever it was on. Uh, You know, and just loved it, you know, and loved the characters. And I didn't really remember a lot about this episode particularly, except I just remembered a couple of crazy images in my mind. And I guess we can just jump into it without spoilers, right? But, like, I just remembered these some of the characters just melting and having sort of this crazy Twilight Zone kind of feel to it. And Shipwreck was one of my all-time favorite characters. You know, not an awesome action figure, but the things that they did with him in this show were just he really stood out as a character. So I I thought of this show and I was like I really I remember just images of it, but I remember it really freaking me out as a kid just like but in in the best possible way. I mean it's sort of like when my dad let us watch Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and I was probably 8, right? It scared the crap out of me. <laughs> but you know, but but you, but then you're like back for more. So I mean it was a, it's a kids cartoon based on a toy but it didn't mean that, like, the writers didn't do some interesting things. So I was super excited to go back to it and be like, okay, is this going, is it going to be freaky, or was it just because I was a little kid, or, you know, how does that hold up? So, you know, that was really interesting for me to to get ready to come back to this after so many years.
0: Now, as I've watched this before, who has never seen this episode before, and was expecting to go into something very um, Transformers, Super Friends-esque, this particular two-parter that you chose was, and I'm going to use this, this, this expression is going to come up a fair bit during this podcast, this was fucked up. <laughs> this, this, there's no other way to, to explain this. So what, what we'll do is we'll quickly let people um, know the plot of the episode. So basically, some of it is standard kind of tropes for kids' animation. You know, you've got the whole um, crazy scientist, secret formula, bad guys are trying to get the secret formula. Turn it into a weapon. good guys are trying to stop them. But somewhere in the mix, it is decided they are going to take shipwreck and completely and totally psychologically damage this character. <laughs> <laughs> this was this was mental. this was just mental. So basically the the gist of it was that they decided to to basically put shipwreck into the Truman show and try and get the the formula out of him because it's been, it was, it was placed kind of in his subconscious, wasn't it?
1: yes yeah, I, I mean, it's the perfect, you know, thing that could destroy the world, right? Yeah. So they're going to put... So they basically implant the, the secret code word, which will unlock the last piece of this formula for the water bomb, right? And the only way to unlock it is if Lady J, who knows the passcode, speaks it to Shipwreck, right? But before that can happen, you know, he when he goes overboard, right, he gets trapped in his flying boat shark and then he you know and then he wakes up and and that's that's where it, like you know the convention of this episode stops right like it stops being a conventional kids episode and then it goes full-on twilight
0: zone it turns into a fucking nightmare mate that's what it <laughs> that's what it that's what it does and you know uh, I, but i i will tell you right now i after watching this two-parter, I actually went back, because we, I did watch G.I. Joe a bit when I was a kid, but it wasn't one that for me was the like the like one of the main ones. Like I was very much He-Man, Transformers, Dungeons and Dragons, Super Friends. I, w- I would have been like a, a very stereotypical looking kid sitting there in their pyjamas, bowl of cereal, plowing through the cartoons and plowing, plowing through the cereal. So I did watch G.I. Joe from time to time, but this one actually made me want to go back and watch the rest of the show so I went back and watched like the you know how they the the opening for the show was basically like a five-part right miniseries yeah so I went back and watched that after that I noticed that there was another five-part episode after that one so I watched that one Mm -hmm. as well I'm now stuck on (laughs) G.I. (laughs) Joe
1: well you're welcome it's a, You know, it's a surprising thing. It, obviously, it has a lot of the tropes of an 80s cartoon, but it, I feel like it's really different, and I hope I don't offend anybody by saying this, like, I feel like it's really different than something like Transformers that doesn't have a lot of actual conflict. But, like, they had, you know, the, I think, Sunbow, the people who made it, they actually hired a lot of good writers, and a lot of them were Marvel Comics, uh, you know, comic book writers. Yeah. And, you know, even, I think, this this two-part episode, I believe... Was written by Steve Gerber, who I uh, who wrote a lot of Marvel stuff, but he's also like I think most famous for creating uh, Howard the Duck.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and let's point out Howard the Duck, the comic book, not Howard the Duck, the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've got to have a little bit of a distinction there between the two. But yeah, it's it's one of the things which got me about GI Joe as well. Now it's not it's not like we see today. This surprised me. This episode, and then going back and watching it, it surprised me. The strong female characters in G.I. Joe Mm -hmm. wasn't like anything... We we didn't have that in Transformers. It wasn't until Transformers, the movie, that we actually got a female Transformer. It was always Spike. It was always Spike's dad. Um, There may have been a a female scientist uh, who was there for exposition, but that was pretty much about it. G.I. Joe has a lot of of strong female characters in it. Um, And that was... That was what was surprising to me, as well as the fact, like you said, really well-written show, because at the same time I went back and watched these five episodes of G.I. Joe, I went back and watched the first five episodes of The GoBots. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, that wasn't your (laughs) fault. That that was nothing to do with with you. There's someone else I need to blame for that, and we'll get into that in in another episode. And the difference between what they do with GoBots and what they do with G.I. Joe... You know, I think the expectation from a lot of people is GI Joe is simply just yay America, let's go gun ho. But the stories are actually, like you said, really, really well written.
1: Yeah, you know, it's surprising to me. It's one of those shows where you know, it's not you don't have deep characters who change a lot necessarily in these shows. But I feel like there's always you know there's always some sort of you know story center, and and I feel I, you know I would tell people. There's not great deep characterization, but there is a lot of plot like a ton of stuff happens in these shows and it actually moves pretty fast and some of it's kind of ridiculous and you can even hear you can even you know grow up watching it as an adult I feel like some of these episodes you get some of the little things that the you know these grown up writers are sort of sliding in there for an older audience that's just gonna go right over the kids' heads, which I think is 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 pretty fun you know and you can tell it's done at a level where Yes, they're using this licensed TV, you know, show that's basically meant to sell three and three quarter action figures and turning it into something that with these characters that you really, really like.
0: One question for you with this, because <laughs> I haven't seen going forward, I've gone back. <laughs> How many people does Shipwreck kill with his bare hands after what he went through in this episode? <laughs> While crying <laughs> and screaming at the same time, because we we have to we have to touch on this. So so what happens is shipwreck is in this in this Truman show kind of setup, um, which is set up by Cobra, and the point of it is to extract the information from him. So they make him believe that it's it's I think it's five years after where he yeah, six
1: years yeah six years later and
0: he now thinks that basically GI Joe has disbanded. He's now like a kind of a family man. Uh, He's got his wife, he's got his child and all of that kind of thing. He's got friends around him. The point of it is to extract the information from him. But very, very quickly, (laughs) the guys from COBRA become very impatient. Like they put a lot of thought into the plan, but it's like they didn't have anyone around with any kind of like psychology degree or anything like that who knew how long this kind of thing would take. Uh, The other thing is... At what stage do we ramp it up? Because they ramp it up very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like...
1: Yeah. You said Truman Show, and I think that's so interesting because some of this stuff, t- you know, touches on the comic books, right? So the relationship with the comic books and the, you know, the show—they were separate. They're, you know, their own storylines. But some of the same writers worked on both, like Larry Larry Hama, which was like kind of the architect of the comic book, also I believe worked on some of the show. You know and they borrowed things from the like in the comic books the 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 headquarters of cobra is not cobra island or anything like that it's this you know it's this quiet suburban town called springfield and the idea is that oh it looks like the perfect suburban place but actually underneath it's the headquarters of cobra and they sort of have lifted that for this show And like, so, you know, Shipwreck wakes up in Springfield and he's like, what? I'm not a family man. I don't, this isn't what I, you know, necessarily wanted for my life. And then the whole town is this huge front for Cobra, which, you know, like you said, it's like the Truman Show. But, you know, it's really the way the show is set up is you don't know that right away. So, right, you go, you know, there's a conventional, like, two-thirds of the first episode, and then he wakes up, and it's kind of a mystery before, you know, Cobra Commander gets super impatient and, you know, and just kind of starts blowing the whole thing. but
0: he's impatient before the end of the day. Yeah. I think Shipwreck wakes up in the hospital, is confronted with all of this, like, an information dump. He's not the guy who he thought he was. He wakes up, he goes home, and almost straight away... They just escalate it. And it's kind of like, well, it's obviously not working. He's only been in Springfield at this stage, I would guess, for about 17 minutes tops. Right, right. And they take it from one to seven and then amp it up to 12. Totally, totally. Like, this guy is going to be suffering PTSD. He is going to be in therapy for the rest of his life. I'm not even sure if he would be fit for active duty simply. (laughs) He doesn't even notice that there is an incredibly... In order for him to be six years older, they dye his hair and they dye his beard. But the first time it comes into contact with water, it just (laughs) washes away. Yeah, it's not a great plan. (laughs) The thing I do like that you touched on is you don't know straight away what is happening. And I'll admit, when I was watching this, I actually felt an anxiety while I was watching it because... I knew what was going to happen. I knew it was going to be, okay, Cobra's behind it and stuff like that. But I actually started, because of the, as I said, the escalation, started becoming really concerned about Shipwreck himself.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't remember ever seeing a cartoon in the 80s where the main character is, is in so much distress. You know, like, he's really upset about this, you know, and for good reason. But, you know, he. I mean, they give him this really elaborate fake history this you know, and it's almost like a wish fulfillment where, you know, he he works his way out of you know the depths of the water. He crawls. He makes a raft. He he gets back to G.I. Joe headquarters. He tells them the formula. He then he personally like helps take down Cobra Commander. Pulls off his helmet and his yeah. you know given a medal as a hero. You know he so he has like this sort of wish fulfillment of this thing but like you know he's not even that happy about it because you know he can't remember it because obviously it hasn't happened
0: yeah and that's that's one of the things which i i loved about this episode because it's it goes forward we kind of get to see a fictional final battle between joe and cobra yeah where gi joe is there in the cobra fortress which by the way cobra fortress the giant laser shooting snakes (laughs) that surround that fortress were one of my favorite things i'd seen in a long long time the fact that they had to if you obviously they didn't but if you in a real world context the fact that at some kind of planning meeting someone turned around and said well we're going to need these giant snakes (laughs) that are going to have to be able to fire lasers
1: it's just good branding you know it's like hey we're cobra we got to double down on this cobra thing yeah
0: (laughs) and and and, you know that is going to be our final line of defense as well is going to be these giant laser shooting snakes that surround our fortress and i just love the fact that in my mind i'm thinking as fantastic as that looks in a real world scenario they had to sit around and do basic design and planning meetings in order for that to happen (laughs) as you know as a designer Things usually get scaled back from the original idea. <laughs> so in my head I'm thinking Cobra Commander has said, This is what I want. Someone turned around and gone, Oh, it's not really in the budget. But you know what we can do? We can we can give you four snakeheads that fire lasers. I That's what you get when you when you watch it as an adult. They're the kind <laughs> of things you take away as well. As a kid I never would have thought that. But the but getting to see the final because these shows never end. Like it's like Transformers right. He-Man, Dungeons & Dragons, although Dungeons & Dragons did have a, uh, an ending, that uh, you know, Super Friends, they always just came back next week. Right.
1: Yeah. Which is, like, kind of shocking because they also sort of connected some of the dots of things that are just suggested in the show. I mean, you were never going to have a romantic relationship with, like, Duke and Scarlet, but you have suggestions all over the place. But, you know, here they say, oh, well, you know you know, Scarlet shows up in her car and she's like, Oh, Duke and I picked it out and it's like, okay, the the implication there is they're they're together, they're married or something. And then you have uh, you know, Flint with his fiance and he's still you know, the fake Flint is still upset by the fact that Lady J died. So you have like these you know, even Shipwreck's fake wife is based on a character uh from an earlier episode who, you know, if I'm remembering this correctly, she was a she was experimented on and she basically couldn't live out of the water. It was almost like she was a mermaid experimented on by Cobra. So the fact that they brought that character back, somebody who he was connected to, and he mentions this. He's like, "How did you how, you know, how did you get f- turned back to normal?" And she says, "Oh, it was the last thing the doc did before G.I. Joe disbanded." So yeah. like he has this con- this relationship with her already, but it's not referenced so heavily. It's not like, "Well, in episode 13." You know, it's just this subtle <laughs> pickup which I which I was kinda of blown away by as an adult because it's like it picks up these these other threads that if you're really watching, it makes a lot of sense and it seems way more sophisticated than any of the other shows that, you know, we've been talking about around that time.
0: That was something I was gonna to touch on with you as well, is one of the things I really enjoyed about this is again, these shows are usually extremely compartmentalized. It's like right. you get your episode each week and, and that's it. This one actually has continuity going through it. You know, this one actually has um, callbacks to previous episodes, callbacks yeah. to previous characters, and I knew because this is how good the writing was for this for this episode. Um, uh, some people who haven't seen it are probably going to be sitting there going, "Listen to these two guys talking about how <laughs> excellent the writing on an episode of GI Joe was." But it really, really is like this. This is, I suppose, this is the one of the reasons though I'm keen to do this show. This is now my favourite episode of G.I. Joe. I
1: love it. I love it.
0: I've watched it about three times. I watched it originally when when I found out we were going to be doing it. I then went back almost straight away and watched it because I was like, there's no way I could have seen what I just saw. (laughs) And then uh, I watched it uh, just a couple of days ago just because I wanted to go back and and revisit it. I'm going to say this a lot. I do feel for shipwreck. He's just come out of hospital. He's got like the, the bandage around his head. Um, do we know why he was in hospital? Did he fall or was there an injury or a concussion Don't they, or something? I, I
1: think they the excuse was that he was hanging he was putting a satellite dish on his his fake you know, his fake house and he fell
0: off the roof. Every step of the way with shipwreck, he is just being shit on. And I I I'm not a hundred percent sure if this tactic was ever gonna work. <laughs>
1: From the Cobra perspective?
0: Yeah. If this yes. scenario had gone for 10 years, all you would have ended up with was a shell of a man.
1: Right. And it's and it's unclear. Like, all of these people are fake, right? They're all the uh, synthoids, right? That they've made these purple protoplasmic people that look just like the real thing, right? And they even seem to act like them. But, yeah, what is the endgame where, you know, you have this elaborate thing of all these synthetic people saying, oh, well, you know, I'm offended that you mentioned Lady J. I mean, it's just like, to what end? Like, this is, it's it's super over-elaborate. But also, I mean, it's kind of amazing because it's it gives you this opportunity to sort of explore little bits of these characters. I mean, just even the idea that, I mean, G.I. Joe, I think, did more of this than some other shows, but some of the shows that you just, they just drop the characters in there and you kind of learn with them as you go. You didn't have... This wasn't like Spider-Man and his amazing friends where there was a very special episode that, you know, Spider-Man tells his origin to his friends and, you know, but, but here we get a whole, uh, shipwreck origin, you know, we get a, you know, we get some of his backstory, which I think is, uh, is kind of wild, but it's, it's not even the point of the story, right? It's just woven in there as a detail, which you know, we keep saying sophisticated, but like that is rather sophisticated. You can see other episodes where that would be the whole thing and you'd learn the lesson. Like, oh, I grew up in the shadow of the, you know, San Diego shipyards and that's how, how I learned to be a Joe. It's like, no, they reference, you know, him growing up and then they reference his first appearance in an earlier episode, you know, and it's, but it's just, that's all just part of the, the actual story. Like that isn't even the, the main crux of this. This is just supporting details, which makes this thing much more elaborate than like your run of the mill episode.
0: Oh yeah. I I mean, it's, as we said, it's really well written, but something's happened for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Like when shipwreck first, I can't remember who it was, but someone comes out of the car wash in their car and shipwreck is talking to them. And, as he's talking to them, they just start to melt. <laughs> <laughs> like, no real reason for it. And almost every step of the way, they're making it obvious to Shipwreck that something is up. I still have no idea why there was the need to put him in jail, give him a drug sandwich, dump him into the basement of that uh, that jail cell or the, the police station, um, and suddenly be confronted by four of the Joes who, as soon as he lay the hand on them, they melt and turn into mush as well.
1: Right. Right. Like, yeah. And then, then he, but then he, we have this series of like, you know, is, then he wakes up on his couch again. It's like, is that just the, you know, Oh, it's just a dream. That's the idea. Just the, that's going to be the excuse. Like, Oh, you're dreaming again. We're just going to drop you back on your couch. But yet, like, that image of the melting characters, like, it just freaked me the crap out as a kid. Like, you know, I mean, you think about this, like, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. And G.I. Joe always had, you know, a little bit of the science fiction aspect to it. But the idea that these, you know, these characters, you know, it all of a sudden started melting and you have no idea why. And they're purple and they're juicy. And, like, that imagery really stuck with me as a kid. And, I mean, that was honestly why... I wanted to go back and watch it because it was just kind of mind-blowing at the time. And I, you can't forget, like, visually, it's just really stunning and kind of surprising. You know, you're not, you're expecting red lasers and blue lasers and Cobra Commander, you know, shouting, you know,
0: retreat! You know, but instead <laughs> you have
1: this, these oozy purple, purple people, I mean, and with no explanation at the beginning.
0: And I will tell you right now, as an adult who saw this for the first time, it freaked me out. <laughs> when it when it when it started happening, because one of the things again, it was the, it was the character who was in the who was in the car coming out of the car wash. When he melts, eyeballs stay intact longer yeah. than anything else. So the eyeball is kind oh. of hanging off of the, and I do like the word that you used, the juicy ooze. It's a horror film image. Right, um,
1: right, and and I, it's kind of amazing that you know in a. You know, in an era where you know you were having at the end of this, they were going to have like knowing is half the battle, and they're going to have their public service announcement at the end about like you know don't play with the matches. I mean, the <laughs> idea that like this kind this kind of uh, sort of wacky you know kind of gross horror movie iconography is it's amazing that that like got by all the you know the censors and the approvals because it is super intense, especially if you're like you know what if this was nineteen eighty four. You know, so I would have been, you know, six or seven. Yep. I mean, like, that is, uh, I mean, that obviously left an impression, you know, because I, I didn't remember a whole lot about the plot other than that. I remember the, you know, the drippy, oozy, melting people, and I remember that, you know, Shipwreck was, had woken up in a, a long time had passed.
0: And then everything goes wild for him. If I remember properly, at the end of the second episode, this child who he has come to know as his daughter who has actually endeared herself to him because like you were saying at the beginning he was like this isn't who i am i'm not you know a family man and stuff like that but you know you you get through the episode he's putting the kid to bed and he's you mm-hmm. know she's got concern for him and shipwreck is quite nice to this to this kid and they start to actually bond and then at the yes. end of the episode she melts in his hands yes
1: yes well, after pointing a bazooka at him.
0: Yeah, like I still don't understand how any of this is an actual form of information extraction. You know, it's kind of like how they talk about you know how torture is a very unreliable way of of uh, of extracting information. <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason to to what they're actually doing. It's almost like they're not after the information. They just hate shipwreck. <laughs>
1: Well, there's also there's also a suggestion here that like, that there's just a loose suggestion that maybe Cobra doesn't completely control these these what are you know the you know synthoids the idea that they're not completely going some of them are going off script right there's one there's one part in the episode where the synthoid of Doc basically says you know she's you know the cadet who comes in to do the mind probe of of uh, shipwreck is doing it wrong. And he expresses concern and they say, Oh, well he started to have opinions of his own and they shoot him and they melt him down. Right. And they put him back in the tank with all the other ones. I wonder is, does this mean that like, you know, on some level, even though his daughter's pointing a rocket launcher at his head, that she still loves him, you know, even though she's designed to elicit emotions, does she actually care about him? And is that why at the end, you know, he's, he sort of realizes that, you know, he's lost something that he never actually
0: had. Yeah. And this would, this would take years to get over. This, this, this whole episode, <laughs> this is the thing I loved about it, is I was not expecting what I got. Totally. I, I came away from this with the feeling that Shipwreck wasn't okay.
1: Yeah. Oh, 100%.
0: I wouldn't have let Shipwreck be alone. Because <laughs> there's even bits where he wakes up in the, in the garden just screaming. That's the point where he snapped. He is just on the ground screaming his wife and his child run out you know sympathetic towards him the whole thing as he gets up he goes to take a swing at the wife like he he draws the fist back and he he goes to so there's even just small things like that during during the episode where it's kind of like this is a little bit up and above what you would normally get from a show because you've even got like he's cracking to the point where he's going to take a swing at the person he believes is his wife.
1: Right, right, right. Well, well, that's crazy, and you think about it also. I mean, I think about this from a character perspective. Like, Shipwreck is probably the only character they could do this to. Because you think about it, even at the beginning of this episode, if you haven't seen any other episodes with Shipwreck and G.I. Joe, he's a lazy ass, right? You know, he is kind of doing the minimum. You know, he's he kind of complains about stuff. You know, he's not the model you know, he's not the model soldier or sailor, you know, he's, I mean, he's kind of a 'er ne'er-do-well, which makes him, but he's, but he's also portrayed as still a good guy, right? He's not, he's not a bad guy. He's a good guy, but it's clear from the writers in the previous episodes, Shipwreck's not the best, right? You know, he's kind of, he's kind of a, you know, a 'er ne'er-do-well. He's going to do what he needs to do. When the chips are down, he's good, but you know, he's sarcastic. He's a smart aleck. And so I think like the ability to like put him through the ringer here and have you feel some empathy for him, but at the same time, like, I can't imagine, like, if you did this, the same thing, you put somebody like Duke, you know, who is basically super goody two shoes. You know, he always makes the right choice. Um, You know, he's very much like the, the optimist prime of GI Joe. Right. You know, he is, he is the father figure in a way, you know, you do this to Duke. It just seems cruel right but shipwreck because he's you know he's he's the closest thing that you have to sort of a you know a, a rebel or an anti-hero on the GI Joe and so it fits his character but also you maybe you don't feel like he's got it coming but also you feel like okay maybe this a character exists in enough gray that this is going to be more meaningful Right? You're going to believe it when he's, he's like, I think I'm cracking up. You know, I think I'm breaking down. Like, you sort of buy it because this is the guy who tries to avoid work or you know, sneak out the back, that kind of stuff.
0: I do like that you clarified you weren't saying that he had it coming. No. <laughs> I was waiting for you to, to just finish it up with, yeah, you know, and he got exactly what he deserved. But there's, there's even like you know, when he's being interrogated by that Cobra agent, And she's actually on top of him, screaming in his face. (laughs) That was totally confusing. (laughs) Whatever subtlety we actually had has now been thrown completely out the window. And it just goes absolutely bonkers. I mean, at the end, what ends up happening is Shipwreck ends up getting the code word. Right. And is able to create it. Coincidentally, is in the room that has all the... The, the elements and all of the ingredients so that he can actually make this, you know, turn water into a bomb R- kind, of, kind of thing. And then proceeds to use it and blows up the, the Cobra base. Right, the entire island is destroyed, right? Yeah, it's just... Because uh, I get why this may f- may fit with shipwreck now, because one of the things I was I was thinking when I was watching it was he's a bit of a fuck up because C- completely. if he doesn't <laughs> yeah if he doesn't get this right, what you have now is a cascading because he's 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 on an island which is surrounded by water, right. so basically you've got the epicenter of a cascading explosion that is carried across all of the oceans of the world. Uh, luckily, you know, it's contained to just the island. But it was kind of like, this is this is. I remember thinking, this is great. This this guy has absolutely no idea what he's doing. The last <laughs> ditch attempt. I'm just gonna potentially obliterate everything. The planet. Well, yeah. There's a line in there that
1: was like, oh well, uh, you know, it doesn't work on salt water. You know, only <laughs> fresh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it was just, it, it was brilliant. And I'm, I'm, as I said, wasn't a massive joe watcher i enjoyed it back in the day i did watch it when it was on i didn't seek it out like at no stage during this episode and it's a two-parter of a what must be 35 year old kids cartoon was i ever bored because the writing was great the voice acting was was fantastic but the design of the show itself is really really good it is really up there. Probably, if you were to put all of the the '80s cartoons together, it's probably up there as one of the best as far as the design work and the quality of the animation.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, you know, I think about it in terms of you got to compare it to Transformers in some ways, right? Because they were, I think, made by the same. You know, some of the some of it was I don't know if they were made by the same studio, but you know, they were definitely like you know some shared some of the same voice actors. You definitely felt like those were of a piece. You know, they were both. You know, came out of Hasbro and Marvel. But, you know, like, whereas Transformers the movie is, like, the best. You know, it's basically, in some awesome. ways, I would say it's it's the best of Transformers, right? It's the absolute top version of that. But G.I. Joe the movie is just, it's awesome. It's really, really good. But it's already, like, more of the same quality of what you already had in G.I. Joe. Because, in general, it was really high. I mean, you just had stuff where you just felt like they were throwing pop culture references or even other references into the show. I mean, there's another episode where, uh, you know, Snake, they're, they're going quote unquote undercover and Snake Eyes basically dresses up like Boy George. Like, you know, as if he's still wearing a purple jumpsuit and a mask, but he's dressed up like Boy George, which is amazing. I mean, it's so it's so ludicrous, but you can see the writers having some fun with it. I mean, even at the very end of this episode, you know, he said, you know, uh, I think it's Lady J asked Shipwreck, well, you know, are you okay? What was in what was in that house? That's burning, you know. It's the house is basically was supposed to be his suburban home with his family, and he says nothing. Just a dream or two, yeah. You know, and it's like it's such this bittersweet ending that totally made me think of the Maltese Falcon, right? You know, where uh, Humphrey oh. Bogart says, you know, this is the stuff that dreams are made yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you're like, oh man, what a what a sort of a knockdown ending. I mean, it's like it doesn't. It's, you know, like you said, it, you know, everybody doesn't laugh about it. And it's all, it's like the end of a He-Man episode or anything. It's like really sort of, you know, tortured and bittersweet. And he's going to live with this stuff.
0: Yeah. And, and like you said, the way that, the way that it ends and he's, he's watching the house burn. Yeah. What's going through this guy's mind as he watches this house burn with, you know, the wife and the child that he didn't think he wanted, ended up becoming attached to. Cause like you said, he, he does have, and you can tell from this episode, he does have a former relationship with this person, and then for him to just be standing there at the end <laughs> with that house just burning down—this is why I'm saying I don't think Shipwreck's alright. I don't think he's okay.
1: <laughs> yes. No, it's true. Yeah. Do they have a, a therapist, a G.I. Joe therapist? Like, what's his name? You know, or her name? You know, what is it? What's that character like?
0: Oh, that that character is going to be uh, going to be pulling in some long hours.
1: <laughs> totally.
0: Basically, I mean that's the, that's the episode in a in a nutshell. It's uh, it is crazy good. It is it is it is honestly, it's very hard to describe what it's like to go into this show with the preconceived notions that you have of like you were saying, you know, you've got your your Hasbro Marvel kind of thing because that was, that was a thing back in the in the day, like you said, Amazing Spider, uh, Spiderman, Man is Amazing Friends, Transformers, all of that kind of stuff. It's very hard to describe as a grown man to other grown adults just (laughs) how good an episode of G.I. Joe from back in 1984 actually is without them slowly backing away from you.
1: (laughs) It's true. It's really true. And I, I think you it's almost like you have to watch a couple other episodes to also realize, I mean, cause you could compare this to some of the cool things that we see in modern animation, you know, pick, uh, you know, Batman, the animated series or um, in the, even something more recent uh, invincible, which is phenomenal, you know, really, really interesting genre, but you know, like this kind of thing fits right in with that stuff where, you know, you've got pathos and you've got these sort of emo- slightly emotionally complex characters but yeah, this this fits alongside of you know I think the episodes before this might have well been you know Destro building the weather dominator you know like it's I mean it's just like that was it was a fun show but I mean this just takes it to another level.
0: And and the thing the thing is is I just want everyone I know to watch this show, like I want everyone I I almost feel like having you know not telling anyone what's going on, you know, throwing a brisket in the smoker. Spending the twelve hours, getting it all ready, inviting people over, and then, boom, we're watching GI Joe. Because if I tell them beforehand, I don't think they're going to turn up.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's way, it's far better than you know you would think it would be. But also, it's like it is very much it's not such a diversion from the the high quality of GI Joe as it was you know i'm like that's the thing i you know tell people it's like this show has a lot of plot like a lot happens in this show you know characters are doing things i mean you're you, they're having fun with it they're not just saying hey we've got to get toy a f-, you know from point 1 to point 2 you know we've got to make sure that we show this vehicle and that accessory and that playset like that stuff is in there but they it really feels like they used it as an occasion to say something you know, and I think this the more we talk about this, the more this show feels like very very much like the Twilight Zone, like you're thrown into this battle you you know you have this character whose point of view is completely turned on its head, you know, and it's just it's it's really impressive
0: I was trying to explain it to my wife, and she hasn't seen the episode <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if I can get her to watch the episode <laughs> um but I was trying to explain it to her. And she was like, yeah, yeah you know, I've, yeah. And she was just thinking of it. the standard Saturday morning 80s cartoons. It's very, very difficult for someone who, who may have already in their mind what the, their you know, stereotype or their um, kind of inner little box of what that animation is to turn around to them and say, right. no, this one, this one is actually special. I would, because I'm, I'm a huge Transformers fan. I love Transformers. I love He-Man as I said, wasn't massive into into G.I. Joe. But I think Mm -hmm. that this may actually be... I don't think I could pull a Transformers episode. I'm not talking about the movie. The movie is one of my favourite things of all time. I adore Transformers the movie, like, to a ridiculous degree. Um, But I wouldn't be able to pick an episode of He-Man or an episode of Transformers that I think is better than this. Totally agree.
1: Totally agree. Uh, You know, I think... I think they did set the bar, you know, and I think that's so interesting because, you know, and I don't know if that is based on the idea that, you know, you think about when you bought a G.I. Joe, if you bought a G.I. Joe in the eighties, right? And you turned it around in the back, they had those file cards, you know, these little bios that yeah. had, you know, you know, little origins and quotes and where the person was from and what their real name was. And those, most of those early ones were written by Larry Hama who wrote the, the show or the, I'm sorry, wrote the uh, comic. And, you know, and I wonder, did they utilize that to sort of as a starting place? And they were coming, you know, it's almost like they were coming with a Bible, right? A show Bible like you'd make today. And, you know, there's already something going on with these characters and these, these, you know, these writers are sort of treating these characters more like they're real rather than just, oh, this guy's, you know, think about Super Friends is a very good example. That's why I love Super Friends. I grew up with it. Yeah. But, I mean, is there anything really to differentiate superman or you know green lantern or really even batman other than their gadgets in those shows like they don't have particular personalities they're all just good guys you know unless you're talking about firestorm who's one of my absolute favorites and such a fun character but you know it's like they don't they're all just generic good guys where it's like no everybody here has you know has their own you know shipwrecks kind of a kind of a lazy ass, you know, you've got Lifeline as this pacifist, you have, you have these very particular character, at least types, if not full fleshed characters. And I think that just allows this to go farther. And it's, I mean, I I can't imagine putting this in Transformers and saying, okay, you know what, actually, this whole thing is going to happen to uh, you know, Sid Swipe or Ironhide. Like it just wouldn't even it wouldn't even compute. Yeah. Right? There's not there's not enough there yeah. to work with in some ways.
0: Yeah, and it's the same with He Man as well. You know, He Man yes. I mean with He Man the thing is the villains had the personality in that yes. show. That's yes. what that's what made that show work for me with the villains more than than the good guys. But you wouldn't be able to take um Man at Arms, for instance, and make this uh, He Man episode where man at arms is, is in the shipwreck role. It wouldn't right. it wouldn't work. Because like I said, by the time I got to the end of the episode, I kind of had a feeling when Shipwreck was doing his thing with the chemicals, I was kinda of like, Oh no, this guy could this guy could fuck up everything. <laughs> this guy could right. this is not the guy I want having the the formula in his head. Anyone else Give it to the fucking parrot.
1: Well, and everybody knows that. Like everybody in the episode knows that. Like, and there's a there's a point where I think it's right after. This is one of my favorite lines in the episode. Was right after the doctor sort of implants this in his head. You know, uh, Lady J says, "You put it in there," <laughs> and Shipwreck's <laughs> like, "It's not like he flushed it down the toilet." <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, she knows. She he knows what she thinks of yeah. him, and it's it's uh, hilarious. Yeah. But yet still, there's you know there's a there's still a bond there, but like she knows he's kind of a screw up. It's It was just, I just loved it. That was really funny.
0: One of the things which you touched on, I think maybe one of the reasons that GI Joe works better than I remember it is maybe because you had those bios uh, that were on the back of the, the cards and stuff like that. And you, you already had that Bible in place. Plus you had the comic books going as well. The, the show itself didn't have to do a lot of heavy lifting. As far as yeah. who are these characters, how do we set them up? What do we do with them? They could pretty much just go straight into character dynamics.
1: Yeah, no, and I think that's what's fun about. It. I mean, it, you know, in an age where every, you know, I, you know, intellectual property is so tightly controlled, you know, and you have a backstory and you have a bible and everything flows out of that, right? You know, and all your licensees get that. Like this, you know, this this was done in a much more organic way where you know, there was some communication, but it was very much, you know, it was slight and it was tight. And it was, I think about it more like, you know, we talked about when way back when you and I've talked before about the art of Atari, the idea that the games were so simple that when you had this beautiful box art that, you know, sort of communicated more of the emotion and the dimensionality and the excitement of the game, you put those two things together and you get an experience. And I almost feel like this is the same, this is of a similar ilk where you have the you have the felt cards on the back of the toys you have the toys you have the cartoon maybe even have the comic book and now these things all join together to give you this really three-dimensional experience as a kid for a character like shipwreck
0: and the the thing about this episode which I there was one thing I was expecting I was expecting to recognize every single voice as the voice of someone from Transformers, the voice of someone from He-Man, right. the voice of someone from, you know, She-Ra or Care Bears or whatever, not one person did I pick out and go, oh, you know, there's Peter Cullen, or there's Frank Welker. Right. But obviously they would have used the guys who, because who, it was, you know, it was a small kind of industry back then. It's not like now, you know, how you get celebrities, you get Katy Perry to be smurfing. Mm-hmm. People's minds were blown when Awesome Wells was unicron.
1: Yes, right, right. Leonard Nimoy was what Galvatron, right? So
0: good. So good as as Galvatron. <laughs> I love I love that. Uh, one of my favorite parts of that movie is the whole coronation of Starscream. and Galvatron just yes. comes in and he's like, "Yeah, hear the hint," and just blows the just the delivery of that line. Um, cuz you, you never really got to see Nimoy do evil. And all that, and the, right, the, the right. tone of his voice and everything was was fantastic. That's another podcast. Hopefully someone will someone will pick Transformers the movie, and I'll let it through as an episode, and and that that'll be a <laughs> six hour that'll be a six hour episode that that we end up doing.
1: Oh, it's su- such a oh. good movie, and so I mean, and talk about like scarring you for your childhood seeing Optimus Prime die. I mean, it just. That's, you know, that's, you put it up there, you know, being sort of facetious here, but like, you know, the challenger exploding, you know, it's like, what are your childhood traumas? Like Optimus Prime dying yeah. is definitely one of and them. And
0: until the internet came along, I didn't realize that it was a shared trauma. There's two movies that made me cry when I was a kid. The first one was Transformers movie, like you said, when Optimus Prime died, couldn't, couldn't believe it. The second one was The Muppets Take Manhattan. They all oh, go their yeah. separate ways and they sing a song called Saying Goodbye, Why Is It Hard? And they're all just... I was destroyed by that as th- as much as I was. The idea of the Muppets not being together anymore. Of course, being a kid, I didn't realise we're 25 minutes into a 90-minute movie. Of course, the rest <laughs> of the movie is going to be them getting back together. But really, this this G.I. Joe episode, I would say, because there was a lot of deaths in Transformers the Movie, Transformers the Movie was definitely yes. a step up from the, the show. Um, yeah. But this... I would say it's darker. The darkest points of this 2 part is darker than the darkest points of Transformers the Movie.
1: Well, yeah, because it's drawn out. You know, it's like, I mean, there's a casual way with, the, you know, a casual way in which they dispose of the characters in Transformers the Movie, because, you know, in the same way that, like, well, we wanted to usher in new toys, right, and new characters. So they just get boom, yeah. boom, 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 you know, Starscream takes up, you know, half a dozen of them out in like 5 seconds. You don't linger over any of these deaths, but here we have like a, you know, 40 to 44 minutes of slow motion, you know, descent into madness for, you know, you know, and you see you know you see shipwreck seeing his friends melt in his, in his hands. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that's some messed up stuff.
0: They don't skimp on the animation. They go through his fingers as they're, as they're melting and like yeah. said, the thing with the eyeball. So with all of that in mind, What I've got to ask you now is, and I think we already know the answer to this, does this episode, in your mind, does it still hold up today? And secondly, do you think this episode could still be made today?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think first of all, yes. I think yes and yes. I think first of all, it's better than I remember it being, because there's a level of nuance here and just so, some twisted humor that I think I, you know, I didn't pick up as on as a kid. So it's just as good, you know, it, I mean, that it obviously left an impact on, it made an impact and it left a mark because I remember that imagery from being a kid. But I think it's, it's even better than I realized just because I can understand all of what went into this and how different even it is from the rest of the shows. But then I think secondly, I absolutely think this is, this could be made into a, you know, sort of a direct-to-DVD, you know, G.I. Joe presents Shipwreck, you know, and you could expand on this. I mean, the the themes here, you know, about this guy being, you know, sort of, he sort of dreams in some ways in his subconscious of being the hero and the awesome G.I. Joe, but actually he's the guy who's going to dump the, you know, the exploding formula down the sink and possibly destroy the world with it. <laughs> you know, that's what he does. And, you know, and then the end he's, you know, He's mourning this life that he never thought he would I mean that's those are like universal themes that you know anybody can connect with so I I think that stuff really does hold up
0: as far as it being made today I don't think if, if it was in the same vein as what it is you know a kid's cartoon going out at four o'clock on a on a Monday afternoon or you know 10 a.m on a Saturday morning I don't know if this would get oh, past yeah. we know so much more about mental health than we did. For you know ptsd mm-hmm. i'm not entirely sure if this was presented as a script for a kids show if it would get through not in the form we saw well it.
1: that that's a good point because you know i mean we have you know in the 80s we, there was either something for kids or you just watch things that were for adults there was no middle ground right you know and now we have you know like the reimagining of he-man or you know there's the new he-man series coming out or something that's darker and it's it's a, you know, you've got a darker Batman version, right? There's stuff that's kind of somewhere in the middle, yeah. right? It's taking these beloved properties and making them.
0: Like the like the latest uh, Transformers that's been on Netflix. Right,
1: which is um, really good. It's very good. It's phenomenal. Right, but, I've been loving but it. But you're right. I mean, you put this next to something like, you know, uh, Paw Patrol. I mean, like, you know, stuff that's truly <laughs> made for kids for today, right? I mean, absolutely not. Because, you know, I have this theory, you know, and seeing this stuff with my kids growing up, that stuff that's truly made for young kids, like, there's no conflict. Like, you know, like, conflict is scary. You don't show conflict. You you know, everybody works it out, you know, and everyone understands, and nothing gets too perilous. And I think if there's nothing about this show, it's about conflict and peril. And, you know, it's mental peril, but, I mean, this guy is sort of traumatized throughout this whole episode, so 100% it wouldn't get made like this if it was really truly aimed at the same audience in the eighties.
0: After this, I need you to go away and I need you to write this as a Paw Patrol episode. <laughs> Just the, the, it's when you said, you know, something like Paw Patrol, I was thinking, you know what'd be fucked up would be this or the Paw Patrol episode. Oh yeah.
1: Although oh, the main kid wakes up and all of his dogs are dead. <laughs> <laughs> It's been seven years, and they're all buried out in the backyard or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, this would this would be. Oh, uh, you know, it's the internet. If we put it out there loud enough, someone will do it.
1: Oh, 100. Yeah. Uh, percent You know, that's a that's a directed. I, I would I would buy that on a you know rent that on a streaming service and a <laughs> <laughs> so the um
0: the high point and the low point of this episode. Would you, would you say this episode has a low point?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it, it's at some point it's just, it just it sort of devolves into confusion. I mean, where they have a, you know, they put him in this room and this, you know, this Crimson Guard cadet, uh, Denning, Denning, I think, or Deming, her name yeah. it, she's the one that kind of climbs on top of him and is trying to extract the information. It makes no sense. I feel like there's a whole act. <laughs> that was cut from this script that we don't understand, you know, like, what is she doing there? Why is she there? Like, why is she freaking out about this? You know, it's this really bizarre, like, you know, almost sexual, like, why is she climbing on top of him and screaming at him? It's really weird.
0: Also, having not, um, been that familiar with GI Joe when I watched this episode, I thought she was a bigger character. I also thought that it might be possible that she may have been one of the Joes in disguise there to save him. Until she went batshit crazy and <laughs> tried to tried to break him. But the way she was written, she wasn't like your normal generic G. I. Joe God. No. Does she come back again? Is she
1: You know, I I started looking this up and I didn't get to dig very deeply. I could have sworn she was in an earlier episode, but I don't think so. I think that was a there were a couple of uh female sort of cobras in training. And a in a, in another episode there's one shows up and I I don't think she shows up in any other episode, which is really strange. It does have a sort of a director's cut sort of feel where it's like you feel like there's something missing that we you know we should have been on there's a backstory there that we don't know about but uh, as far as as far as i know this is her only appearance but i think that almost you you touched on this before there are a lot of really interesting strong female characters in this show and it's kind of cool that even though it doesn't make a lot of sense it's cool that she comes in and she has a name. she's not just you know blonde scientist cobra scientist number two, but she actually has a you know as bizarre as it is she has a personality, she has an you know sort of a driving uh, you know desire to do something, uh, which was kind of cool, but it was very out of left field It felt very weird.
0: yeah well I, one of, one of the things which I because I will go back and watch this episode again and guarantee it, this is going to be one of my background. Things When I'm working on something, or I'm writing something, or I'm doing something, this is going to be on in the background. A hundred percent. Like, this is now awesome. in that rotation. I was wondering if she was the nurse from the hospital in the beginning of the show.
1: Oh, I think you're right. I think you're right. you had
0: the blonde nurse at the beginning of the show, and then you had her, and she came in, and she already had this frustration, probably because, you know, she had to hang around in this crappy town with people melting every... Every two seconds. Those those Synthoid, whatever they were, they were highly defective. They, they yeah. <laughs> you know, they needed a little bit more in the prototype before they actually released these. But maybe it was Opportunity, not Shipwreck, they had to rush it, you know. It, right. it, that, could, that could be, like, the, the whole thing with the show, why it wasn't exactly well-crafted because they had to go with the Opportunity they were given. Um, now, the high point of the show, what would you say was the high point of... of these episodes. I
1: mean, it's funny because I think the the climax of, it, of him figuring it out and sort of gathering himself to sort of take this down is, you know, sort of the story high point. But for me, I actually thought like some of the quiet moments of, you know, particularly where he meets the you know, he sort of in a line where they're trying to remind him of what quote unquote his real life is like, he meets the different Joes and they sort of moved on. Like for me, that was a high point as a kid, you know, because you're like, wow, you know, you always imagined, okay, well, what happened to these guys? You know, G.I. just sort of ends, yeah. right? You know, and it's like, well, okay, we say that, uh, you know, Duke and uh, Scarlet they get married and these guys go into business together and, Flint is up his life and apparently buying a boat or something. You know, it's like that was actually really fun to me because it sort of suggested a, a you know, a, a longer life to these characters and it makes them feel more real. So for me, that that was one of the most fun parts. It's like a G.I. Joe sort of, you know, nerd. Like, I really like that about that. But I, I think overall, I think just the ambition of the show is like my favorite part is that it doesn't, you know, this isn't like, you know, cobra's turning the world into darkness or you know controlling the weather where it's this global stakes it's actually relatively small stakes comparatively but yet like it is very very ambitious in terms of what it's trying to do emotionally and i think that's the high point for yeah, me i
0: think that's i think you've, you've nailed it on the head with that the thing that kicks this over the top of anything else is the emotional impact of it all of these years later you still got the melting people stuck in your in your mind you know. Yeah. Now totally. if that was just a picture that you saw with no context, you may not remember it.
1: Totally, you know? totally. I, now that you said that I'm hoping that like, you know, some toy company will go and, you know, revisit G. I. Joe and one of the you know, the exclusive characters you can buy is a melting purple roadblock.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I would completely buy that.
0: When you were younger, so this is this is the recommendation side of it. When you were a kid, would you have told people to go and watch this particular episode and having seen it again recently would you recommend that someone watch it today I'm pretty sure I already know the answer to both of these.
1: absolutely well as a kid I would say yes because it's like you know I mean this was really a top shelf sort of 80s cartoon you know and like something about it you know the depth of it really grabs you sort of emotionally so i would have completely recommended it to my friends i mean we would have had to watch it on reruns i guess we'd have to you know pull out the tv guide and uh find it but you know and as an adult you know i think i, th- I think you sort of touch on this the idea that there's there is sort of a bar for people who didn't grow up with 80s animation you know to watch this but i th- but i think if you can get somebody to sit down with a drink and say, okay, you know what? It's GI Joe, and it's based on a three and three quarter size action figure. Um, you know, still watch this and prefer to have your mind somewhat blown. I, I think you can, you know, make a couple drinks and uh, and put this and spin this up, and I think you could totally watch it, and I think you could recommend it.
0: I would go one step further than that. I would get someone completely high. I would get someone so <laughs> oh, stoned before they watch this show and then wouldn't even tell them anything about it just turn it on bang and just start it without even telling (laughs) them that we're watching anything just to get to the melting people bit i would want to get someone so high that it would affect them like it affected you with a (laughs) six-year-old
1: you can put on some pink floyd as well uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah just
0: just you know um put on the wizard of oz at the same time and that's right. You know, and away you go. But it's this is, honestly, I reckon this would be, you know, for, for people who like to sit around and, and get high and just watch TV, if you haven't seen it, this would be the one to go for. Out of everything I've watched so far for this, for this show, this would be the episode that I would say to someone, get completely high.
1: You might have to put a warning label on that,
0: yeah. <laughs> Disclaimer or nothing... Yeah, I'm not responsible if you end up like shipwrecked. <laughs> like if you That's if right. you... <laughs> it was an absolute joy, it was a complete surprise to watch this episode. I can't say enough good things about it because with most people when I start talking about an eighties episode of G.I. Joe, I can't say enough good things about it because they've walked away. And I just gotta thank you for, for like it was a little bit outside the box. It's going to be very difficult for someone to come out with an 80s show now, an animated show, um, and have it be as good as this one.
1: Yeah, that's true. Well, it was fun. It was super fun talking about it with you and really fun to revisit it. I mean, just because it's so good. I mean, there's always nostalgia when you come back to this stuff, right? But it's nice to dust one of these off and realize, no, it's also just legitimately good.
0: It's so wonderful to, to have something that was part of my childhood, but I missed you know, it's kind of like because with mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, because of DVDs and streaming and stuff like, we can we can complete everything. We can we can go and watch entire seasons in a week of something. Right. So there's you know there's very little kind of that surprises you in terms of our uh, you know go back and watch this show, go back and watch this show. Like Transformers, I've seen all of the episodes three or four times. Same with He-Man and stuff like that. This was a joy because I was able to go back and experience. The whole 80s Saturday morning cartoon thing with not just something that I hadn't seen, but something that was as good as this. This was just, this was brilliant. So I can't thank you enough for making this your pick. All right, meant well, if you have anything that you want to get out there, anything that you want to plug, anything that you want to let people know about, I mean, you have your books.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm so I'm on Twitter and Instagram at uh, Tim Lapatino and Lapatino and you know i dig into a lot of 80s stuff you know that's a it's sort of you know the 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 genesis for me in terms of pop culture so like you said uh pac-man birth of an icon is my the new book that i co-wrote about the origins of the video game and the character and that that's it's actually just about to be coming out it'll be out this summer and um that was really fun i mean i spent basically the whole pandemic doing that and i think it's really interesting just to talk about that. You know, it's another 80s property and it has a really interesting origin story. But I'm continuing to work in, you know, both in design and also writing, working with some of these 80s properties and some of these pop culture properties that are a lot of fun. So I, and I love having conversations like this. So, you know, people can hit me up, uh, you know, at Facebook, in Facebook or Instagram or Twitter.
0: I'll, um, I'll let you go. And again, thank you very much for your time, mate.
1: Totally. Well, thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it.